I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. Way back in the summer of 2017, I recorded the first episode of this podcast and my guest was Sarah Turner, aka the Unmumsy Mum. And today she is back. Sarah rose to fame when a blog post that she'd written went viral called an open letter to the mum in the red coat. It's raw honesty about how some days of early motherhood are just so incredibly hard, spoke to so many people. A book deal followed and three non-fiction books later, Sarah has just published her first novel. Stepping Up is the story of what happens when tragedy hits a family, turns it upside down and catapults protagonist Beth into a world of parenting her teenage niece and toddler nephew. It is a brilliant read. It's funny, it's uplifting, it's sad and it's no surprise that it became an instant Sunday Times bestseller. So I caught up with Sarah a week after publication and here is what she had to say. Sarah, welcome back to the podcast. Um, you were my first ever guest Yay! back in 2017, um, five years ago. Um, not much has happened in that time, really, has it? The world's like pretty similar. Yeah, same, same. Um, I was going to say I was pregnant with Wilf then, wasn't I? You were pregnant, yeah. And you came to London um, for some Mumsnet thing. I can't even remember why you were at Mumsnet. And I interviewed you in the mum's night offices you did. which is just like a, such a weird not real life thing to do like to interview you in the mum's night offices I know. like what's that all about I remember it really clearly um I, and I think, I think I've got a picture somewhere of me with a wilf with a wilf bump on that day um so yeah I know god five years madness absolute madness um yeah and obviously you've gone from being a mum of two to a mum of three and um and the world is ending so yeah that's 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 the catch-up that's that's where we are since since the last time we, we we chatted on the podcast but how are you doing how has your day been so far for you my day's been all right thank you I've done a triple drop-off double school double school drop-off nursery drop-off and um Tuesdays is the is the day I work from home um so normally I go into a co-working office but on a Tuesday um I work from home because it's kind of a shorter school day and then after school I have to do your nursery pickup and then take due to tennis lesson uh so yeah it's kind of that calm sandwich in the mid the sandwich filling in the middle of the day um my Tuesday at home which is nice a calm sandwich filling I like yeah. that I like that um and Wilf your youngest he goes to school in September doesn't he no how are you I'm feeling about that go. he's not going Alison I'm not well I'm going to ask go. you because like some mums are like crossing off the calendar sobbing as they're getting closer and other mums and I'm pointing at myself here yeah we were I was like I was like just need to get to that milestone I just need to get my child into school yeah and then everything will be okay I I suppose it depends on which day you're asking me, but generally speaking, I'm not. I mean, he's ready. Will's more than ready to go. Um, he was four in December. You know, he talks for England. He's got a nice little group of pals at nursery. He's ready for it. Um, I think it's just because I'm so aware that he it, he's the last. 
he's the last baby and I'm kidding myself that he's still a baby I mean they'll always be my babies but even at four he's quite you know grown up now um and it is going to feel different I think and you do I mean I know nothing I know nothing you know massively changes when they start school I remember feeling like bereft when Henry started school and then thinking well actually it's like three o'clock and it's already time to picking him up and oh no now yes. it's half term <laughs> and um and like actually but they do they do change it's the end of an era isn't it when they go to school mm. because your time with them is no longer your own you can't just go on a Wednesday right it's a nice day we're going to go and do this you're kind of you're in the system aren't you yes um, I remember also feeling the, the weird thing the weird feeling I had was there's this whole big chunk of my child's day that I'm not aware of and yeah. let's be honest quite often when they're in reception you try and get out of them like what, what have you done today and they're just like they don't really tell you and no. they can't they can't tell you um that was weird I, I felt like so weird that 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 all of this stuff was happening and all these influences were you know, were there affecting my child. And it's it's almost like a, that kind of like, that lack of control, isn't it? Suddenly you're not completely in control of, of what's happening to your child. No, exactly. And, um, I, you know, there's no way of knowing whether he's going to follow in the footsteps of his big brothers, but both Henry and Jude were the class crier in the morning. So oh, no. drop-offs were really traumatic for ages. Not like, you know, not like, you know, you expect for the first day maybe or the first week or, you know, Henry was still crying after a term every day in reception and it wears you down after a while, even though you know they'll be fine once you've left. There's no- nothing feels more unnatural than leaving a child who, who doesn't want you to leave them, does yeah. it? Like, it's an awful feeling. So I'm kind of bracing myself for that. Um, even though Henry and Jude were always absolutely fine after I left. But one of my like school mum friends now, um, whose son is in Jude's class, we met because she had to, she basically had to comfort me outside the classroom because I was sobbing because I was just like, I can't keep doing this. He cries every day. And she was like, oh, love, come here. And um, that's how we, that's how we met. And we're still friends now. So yeah, but it is, it, I'm, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful that Wilf might just boss it and stroll in. He knows lots of people at the school. You know, it's familiar to him. He does, he comes to do drop-offs yeah. with me. So it should and he's be seen fine. his big brother is going every day. Yeah. He, he understands the whole concept of school. It must be so much easier. Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, no, I am. I'm excited for him. And you know, I'm not one of those parents that's like, I wish time would stand still. Um, sometimes I have like glimmers of that, but mostly I'm always happy to kind of accept the next stage and and, and challenge of watching them grow up. But yeah, there is something. You know, Henry's ten. And that's a decade now that I've had a baby or a toddler or a preschooler at home. Um, mm. Oh my goodness, that's a long so time. So they're all going to be at school and it is going to be, and it's, in the, it's one year where they'll all be at primary school together. So we'll have reception yeah. year three and year six. And then Henry will be off to big school, you know, the following year. So yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be all right. It will be fine. But I, I personally think that you are in what I think is the golden period of parenting because you're out of the baby and toddler stage, which is, as we know, exhausting. Um, and you've yet to hit the teenager stage. So the hormones haven't quite, I'm guessing, haven't quite no, kicked in for your eldest. Um, and apparently I hear that the teenage stage is a massive heap of fun. Um, I've yet to experience it myself. Um, so I feel I feel like you're in that golden, that golden stage um, so what are you doing to make sure that you enjoy every second of this before it all turns <laughs> oh, to shit again? I always um, hashtag cherish every moment, Alison, as you know. Um, <laughs> I think for me, it's like some days are about survival and just getting to the end of the day and ticking off the jobs and kind of just like trudging through. But I think as long as you are having days or moments when you're kind of just taking stock like I have I had a moment the other day I mean my three are mad keen on wrestling um and they were out in the garden the other day and they were wrestling but it was actually they were playing it wasn't you know nobody was physically um injured or there was nobody crying or arguing and I sort of looked at the three of them rolling around in the garden and I thought this is nice like this is this is kind of it's all you know it's all come good. There are moments when I just think, yeah, this is lovely. And then obviously there are other moments when I'm like, when, when, 
when will this end? The moaning and the whinging and the never being happy and, yeah. you know. It's, it, it's when the, the balance tips, isn't it? It's when there are more of the when will this end moments. I found myself texting my husband yesterday morning. He was off getting ready in the shower and I was with the, the kids. And I actually texted him saying... I'm ready to sell the children and join the circus. Like, I'm done. And yeah. it, it's like, it's 8am and I'm done. And he came down and I actually started crying a little bit. Just that kind of like overwhelmed yeah. kind of like, this is too hard. And he was like, take yourself off. I've got this. I'll, I'll finish getting them ready for school and yeah. preschool. Just take yourself off. But it was just like that kind of overwhelming feeling. And, then, and I was fine like 10 minutes later totally fine and I was like ready for, you know carry on with the day but it yeah. just comes out of nowhere doesn't I think it he, I think humour helps massively so if you can laugh at yourself like the kids just take the mickey out of me all the time you know for old mum so um, you know the other day I was like can we just have one day where everybody gets on and nobody's crying and we're not all obsessing over whose turn it is on the iPad and we, I just had this thing and then I could hear them I could hear them um, in the other room doing impressions of me I could hear them going <gasps> no. Alison, they were so the impressions were so good like I I went <laughs> I went from being really angry to just being like I mean I, you know I shouldn't reward I shouldn't reward such cheekiness but it was so funny I could hear them so they didn't know I could hear them and I could hear them going can we please just have one day? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! Sometimes it's when you hear yourself back like yeah. that. You're like, like sometimes, um, you know, my um, my one one of my three year olds. She's really obsessed with just like looking through all old photographs on my phone and videos, and she'll come across like a video that I perhaps I didn't didn't realize was being like you know she's been playing with it and she's videoing. And I'll hear my voice and I'll hear me saying something like, um, right, come on, shoes on, you know, and like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I sound so terse and I sound so like harsh. And I didn't realise I sounded like that. That's only because the first time that you said, right, it's time to get your shoes on. No one listened. So, you know, it captures you at the moment where you're like, shoes on, like the Hulk, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, um, but yeah, no, they are. So I find that we have, you know, there are there's there's just a lot of feelings in this house all the time, and you know, from me and the kids, and it goes from kind of crying and everybody being upset and falling out over homework to us all just sat down having dinner and just you know pissing ourselves laughing, um, generally at my expense. But that's fine. I mean, I'm outnumbered, <laughs> aren't I? The only female and three three boys and a and a husband. Even the cat's a boy. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of fine. It's a good it's a good balance. And I think you're right. I think I will look back on this time and these years and actually think these were it's, it is a gold. It is kind of a golden era really um and I've stopped doing that thing where you're always looking ahead to the next stage like I'm you know I'm sort of quite happy where where it is I think when I was in the baby and toddler stage that you know hands held up I didn't cope particularly well I didn't necessarily enjoy those early days and was often thinking you know when we get to one or when we get to 18 months or when they're potty trained or you know it was always the next thing isn't it but now I'm like no it's all right it's all it's all good yeah. Oh, it's hard. I, I, I do that all the time myself. Like even yesterday I was chatting to a friend about the morning I'd had and she was like, yeah, but you know what, they're three now, which means, you know, they'll, they'll be four soon and then they, they, they go to school and it gets so much easier then. And so I'm definitely still at that stage of just like waiting for the next stage, like yeah. waiting for it to get easier. But I, I just think that's natural, isn't it? Of course it, it is. You yeah. know, we... And we know that things get easier. And so it's it's understandable to be almost like setting your eyes on that. Like, okay, it's all right. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Yeah. It's okay. Now, I heard you talking recently about how your husband was booked in to have the snip. He's had it. Um, yeah. He, it's, it's happened, it has ha- it? It has happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not even a snip anymore. It's a laser. But we still call it. Oh. We still call it the snip. He's been, he's, he's, his bollocks have indeed been lasered. Um, yeah. So that's it. I mean, that's that's final, isn't it? What was that conversation like when, you know, when when you were like, right, okay, we're definitely done. We're having no more children. It, it honestly. Now, now, you, now you need to step up. It, no, it wasn't like that here. It was, it was, he had always maintained that that was something he was quite keen not to do uh, until we had Wilf. And then... At that point, he was like, hotline to the doctors. Um, <laughs> and I think I said, 
you know, I, even though I, I did know, you know, three would, three would probably be our lot. I was like, let's not be too hasty straight away. But obviously, yeah. you know, um, Wilf is now four and we don't want any more. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was his, it, he took, he took the lead on it and was like, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't, I can't risk it. Um, don't want, don't want any more children. Um, so yeah, I that's felt great. quite sad. I did feel a little bit sad. Did you? Yeah, he walked Were you a bit off. like, that's closing the door. That's, you know, that's a, a sort of fin- finality to it. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, you know, there's no, it, we, I knew that I didn't want another one. And also there's no way of knowing if I had wanted another one, whether we would have been able to have had another one, you know, none of, it's not, none of these things are guaranteed, but I think, it was just quite final. He walked, I sort of saw him out the door. It was like a Saturday morning appointment and he walked down to the surgery and he left. And um, I was like, oh, that's it. You know, there they, <laughs> there they go. Uh, Henry, Jude and Wilf's little spermy brothers. No more, no, <laughs> no more for us. But um, yeah. Was there a link between you guys adopting a cat and him getting maybe, the snip because it maybe. feels like that, that that's quite a sort of common thing I feel you know it's like right we're, we're done with the kids yeah and we're, we're coping okay with the kids that we have so let's introduce a whole extra yeah maybe being into the household it was probably on my it was probably the, the cat thing maybe I felt like maternal for a pet I don't know but actually the kids have been badgering us about a pet for a long time and for one reason or another it wasn't right like when we were having like major building works going on and all that sort of stuff we were like well not this year and then there was something and then it, well then you know then there was a plague so we were like not yes. not not right now um so yeah it was so weird with the cat as well because I don't know I'm not like I'm not like a massive believer in kind of like fate and stuff but the week before Christmas I used to check the um local animal shelter website but I check it really kind of irregularly like just you know might be once every few months and I hadn't checked it for ages but something about Christmas week literally the week in the lead up to Christmas I was sat on the sofa and I went oh, I'm just gonna see if they've got any animals at Little Valley Animal Shelter and he was like newly added like then but obviously I couldn't have known that yeah um so it was like it felt like it was meant to be but I was a bit naughty because I said I, I filled out the form and everything I didn't tell I didn't tell any of the family and I thought <laughs> it would like they might you know get back to me after Christmas but I got a phone call being like, yeah, when can you, when can you come and meet him? And I was like, uh, guys, um, just going to have to uh, clear this with Team Turner first. Um, but yeah, he's, he's great. Little Frank, bless him. Oh, that's lovely. Um, now you guys, um, you've approached parenting in quite a modern way, haven't you? In that your husband went part-time when yeah. Wilf, was it when, when Wilf was born yes, that your husband? Yeah, so he, so James took, so we did share parental leave. Uh, so I did maternity leaves for Henry and Jude. Um, not that it's a competition. And, um, <laughs> it was, you'd <laughs> but win. it is a little bit. And uh, obviously, by the time I had Wilf, I was self-employed. So you know, um, there wasn't. I didn't have the kind of safety net of maternity leave and pay and all the rest of it. Um, and I was working on a book and everything. So. Um, we just decided to share parental leave, and I hand I did three I took three months off I think, and then handed the baton over to James, and he took a, he had a year off from his from his job, um, and then he's now part time, so he works three days a week, um, which was an absolute godsend during the pandemic because he's a civil servant and is a key worker. He still had to go out to work on his oh, yeah. work days so you know when like the you know when like the country completely locked down when you were you know when you could only go out to tesco or for exercise and you felt you had to lunge doing your exercises going down the street in case the police yes. stopped you he was still going to work like in wow. so when i was doing all homeschooling and stuff he would leave in the morning i was like i'm supposed to be writing a book james but you know you do what you've got to do and um and so I was so, so grateful then that he didn't work full time, um, yeah. you know, so it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Because, you know, part time work is part time pay, but it works for it works for us at the moment um, so that I can get some decent work days you know under yeah. my belt it's so hard to get the balance isn't it we do something a bit similar in that my husband left his job complete, completely when yeah. um when the twins were born Sim- similar reasons at the time i was self-employed 
Um, and I was like, well, there's no point in, it's like when you're, when you're self-employed quite often as well, you're, I felt like I was scared to say, take a whole year off because I felt like, oh, I'm going to lose momentum and people will forget about me. And, um, which is probably completely crazy and wouldn't have panned out that way, but it's just all those doubts as well with like pregnancy hormones and all that kind of stuff buzzing about. Um, but so he's still off looking after the little ones and I work full time. But the thing that I find quite interesting is that unlike in my mind, so in my mind, I, I think, right, so that all, you know, all of these kind of like traditional families where the dad goes off to work and the mum's at home, I feel like the dad heads off to his nine to five and just switches off from parenting. Whereas I feel like I'm working full time now, but I don't switch off. I'm still thinking, right, I need to, um, you know, fill out that form for the school trip next week. Right. I need to, you know, book in some play dates for the Easter holidays coming up. I'm still like juggling yeah. and thinking about parenting and then feeling guilty about what I'm not able to do yeah and I'm like I'm such a mug it's the parenting like, admin isn't it that's the thing yeah. that's the stuff that takes but then I do wonder if that comes a little bit again from being self-employed like I feel like um if I was going to if I was going to work in an office or work for a bank or do one of the jobs that I've had before I feel like I would turn up and I'd be thrown into it and my phone would obviously always be on and the school would phone if somebody was sick or whatever but I feel like that I don't know, that kind of hybrid home work mm. thing um, doesn't necessarily help that separation. Like if I had to go into another office and somebody else was my boss and I was reporting into them, I feel like I would leave the... I would be more be able to park the home admin. Yeah, but, you'd have to, But the you? problem is, like, especially if I'm working from home, um, you see reminders of stuff. So I'll be like, right, I'm logging on. I'll do a Zoom meeting. I might have a chat with my editor. I might try and write a chapter of the new book. But then on the side, I'll see, oh, God, we haven't paid for the second instalment of the residential or um, we're supposed to have, you know, checked the spark spellings to see if there's new ones and I end up doing those little bits during what should be my work day um yeah so yeah not always great at boundaries for that I don't think oh no I mean I, I don't think anyone's nailed it honestly and and people think you know oh you know you're you're you know approaching things so much in such a modern way and it's not great but it's not it's not the perfect solution no it's, I don't know. think there is it's just it's just like the it's just the best solution for you and your family at, at any one time isn't it um, it's yeah. just what works, you know, what what works the best, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely not perfect. No. Um, now, Sarah, your new book, Stepping Up, it's a bit different to the previous three, isn't it? It is. Um, tell us, tell us all about it. Yes. So Stepping Up is my first novel. Um, it's taken me about three years to get to the point that I've actually got it in front of me. Um, that must feel pretty amazing. Yeah. To have gone through all of that work and writing and self-doubt, as I know you went through. I did, yeah. To actually then have this actual book. I and, know. And it probably, I'm guessing it feels different to your previous it books. It feels it's- so different. So there were times in the writing of this book where I genuinely thought, <clears throat> I'm not, I can't do it. Um you know, the, the like self-doubt was so crippling at one point that I did turn to my husband and say, I've, I've reached the thing, like professionally in terms of my career, I've reached the thing that's going to defeat me. I just can't do it. I'm not cut out for it. Um, and I think I'd had like first draft feedback that was constructive, but also a little bit kind of, um, you know, a bit of a I was shell-shocked by it because my editor who is just the like most brilliant wisest woman ever everything she said was right but it's just really hard to read you know thanks thanks for your effort for the first draft but when you start again for draft number two which was basically what I did so yeah of the of the 100,000 words of my first draft only the first chapter remains how long had it taken you to write that first draft a year so a year's worth of work and your editor is coming back and saying, that's great and you need to start again. Yeah, and do you know what? It, now it makes total sense because I hadn't written a novel before and actually that first draft was like, it was like a practice. It was like... Mm. Um, I've heard it described as draft zero. Oh, God, So it's yeah. not even the first draft. It's draft zero. It's, it's, um, it's the clay that you've got to create to exactly. then... Yeah. shape your book yeah. out of yeah and it, and it would never be it would never be it's not like you sit there and go right I've done my first draft let's get it published no no I know and I think 
you know, it was just, I just thought I'm, maybe I'm not actually cut out for this. But when I, when I reread what she'd written, actually all she'd said was, you know, these, like we know that the potential is here and these are all the ways that it could be, that it could be so much better. Um, Which is a kind of amazing, really. Like if you remove that self-doubt and that shock and that feeling of, oh my goodness, I'm never going to be able to do this. What was I thinking? Which I'm, yeah. I'm just putting those words in your mouth because yeah. that's what I would well, think. Well, it wasn't working. It wasn't working. I mean, it was a terrible first draft. Like, it, honestly, it really was quite bad. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, like you say, with the, with the clay, I wouldn't have had anything to mould, you know, unless I'd had that initial, that initial attempt. But yeah, it has been um, a huge roller coaster, and it's my first novel, um, It tells the story of Beth, who is in her early 30s and who is a bit of a mess, to be honest. Like, she's never really managed to stick at anything, um, like jobs, relationships, um, a bit of a quitter. That's what she's described as by her family. Um, And then overnight, her life changes and she becomes guardian for her teenage niece, Polly, and toddler nephew, Ted. And it's kind of her her story of being thrown in at the deepest of deep ends um, with a bit of a love story woven in and also um, a friendship with her sister's uh, 83-year-old next-door neighbour, Albert, who, um, who yeah, becomes, becomes kind of an invaluable source of, yeah, you know, support to her so yeah it's 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 it's, so it should be hopefully um uplifting and funny as well as sad but the first draft was relentlessly bleak it was like maybe that was because I wrote it during a pandemic and yeah uh but yeah I'd promised this kind of uplifting novel and nobody felt uplifted (laughs) so I was like start again but do it a bit more let's make it a bit less bleak um, and hope, hopefully it is. I don't know. The reviews have been really, really good so far. So I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier with, with it. But also I think it's that thing of having been through that process. There did come a point where I was like, well, I'm happy. I am happy with it now. Like I'm, I'm happy of it with it and, and I am proud of it. And therefore what happens next is kind of like, well, what will, what will be, will be because I am, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I've got to this point when I really yeah. didn't think I would. Yeah. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like you say, there's a theme of grief running through it and loss. Yeah. Um, But you've managed to do it in that way where, you know, you, you read the book and it's not, it isn't, it isn't kind of morbid and it doesn't, it, you know, there, there are laughs and there are funny moments and there are lighter moments, you know, within within the story. Um, but the, the the grief and the loss, that's something that you've experienced in your own life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think when I, when I um, was deciding on the characters for the book, um, you know, I think the, because the, because the main character is kind of like adult female, people kind of always assume that, you know, Beth would be based loosely on me or be informed by me and my life in some way. And there's definitely, there's definitely bits of me in Beth, perhaps sort of inevitably, but actually it's Polly, um, Beth's teenage niece, who, whose experiences are probably the closest to my own. And that's because I lost my mum when I was a similar age to Polly in the book. So I felt like I had that um, backdrop of, 
grief and the experience of what it's like to be a teenager who is, you know, mourning somebody like super close to you. Um, because teenagers aren't like, <laughs> teenagers aren't like other human beings. They're quite unlike anyone else. So um, they they can, you know, it's, a, it's probably a sweeping statement and not all teenagers are the same. Teenagers can be really quite self-centered and um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think what that means sometimes is that when somebody who's close to you dies, um, you like the, the rug is pulled from underneath your feet and your whole world changes. But also you are still the center of your world. So I can remember when my mum died being like having like waves of that absolutely like crushing grief where you can't, you know, you can't move, you can't speak, you can't do anything. But then 24 hours later, being quite concerned about what I was going to wear to the football club party the following Friday. Like, what you know, would, would I have time to go and buy some hair mascara? And um, who, whose house were we getting ready at? And who, whose mum and dad could get some Alcopops? So it was kind of like, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. So I had that, I felt like my experience of of loss as a teenager meant that I felt at least a little bit qualified to write a teenage character who is dealing with grief because I was like if ever I had that niggling doubt would she behave like this or would she say this I could kind of you know cast my mind back 20 years and go yeah she probably would to be fair so that must have been that must have been almost like a saving grace in in a way to have to I hadn't ever thought about teenagers like that. And, you know, I've heard quite a few parents of teenagers saying, you know, um, that, you know, we we think of of the teenage years as being when we, um, you know, the teenagers get a bit more independence and they go off and they don't need their parents as much. And actually, that is the point where kids need their parents the most. Yeah. You know, and that always surprises me. I'm like, oh, like, I'm really glad I know that now. So when my eldest or when all my kids become teenagers, I won't just assume they don't need me anymore. Yeah. So I guess I was I was thinking that for you personally, losing your mum, you know, age 15, I thought, wow, that, that must have been almost like the hardest time that you yeah. could have I don't th- lost I don't, her. Yeah, it's, I mean... It's weird. I mean, I guess, I suppose there's never a good time. I was having this conversation to somebody who's, you know, a similar age to me now who lost her mum recently. And she was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I feel really bad complaining to you because, you know, I've had like 35 years with my mum. And I said, oh, my God, no. Like, it doesn't matter if you're kind of 15, 35, you know, or 65. If When you lose a parent, I don't think. I think it's always going to be that kind of mad um shock where everything sort of sort of changes but yeah I I feel like um what happened with me as a teenager was that I didn't actually I didn't deal with the grief straight away so I I actually was fine and people would be like are you okay and I would be like yeah I'm fine and I was fine it's just that the not being fine hadn't come out yet um, so for the first kind of six months or more after my mum died, I was actually kind of all right. Like I would have moments, I would have like waves of not being able to cope, but then I would just be like, I threw myself into my exams. I was doing my GCSEs, um, and you know, friendships and stuff are so important as a teenager, aren't they? Like I was still really concerned about, well, why does so-and-so not want to sit with me in maths anymore? Or, um, she's copied me by putting her hair in pigtails or, like the, all those kind of teenage dramas, um, I do think that, that what then happened is, you know, if you haven't had, if you haven't dealt with it, then it comes out at a later stage. And I think that is what happened. And it was actually after I met James that I lost the plot a little bit. And I think, I don't know, I'm sure a psychologist would probably have a field day and, and maybe say, you know, I was kind of looking for a, for, for a relationship because I felt like I needed another close relationship and maybe, you know, mm. there was an element of trying to fill that fill that void a little bit. But obviously, you know, a romantic relationship with James, as lovely as, lovely as he was and is, um, isn't the same as having a mum, is it? So no, at that point, no. I thought I've got everything I want in... I've got everything that I've been looking for, um, but I still don't feel kind of complete. And that's when I started to, you know really struggle and it kind of it kind of came out so I think that's I think that's what happens but I think 
it's to kind of not be surprised with teenagers if they seem like they're coping because they might in that moment actually be fine it's just um it's just not that I used to get the head tilt you know the sympathetic head tilt and how are you all the time and I'd be like oh bore off I'm fine like there's nothing you know there's nothing wrong with me and then at some stage there really was um but yeah there was, pro- there was, there was probably a little bit of that uh, I'm guessing that kind of almost independence as well like, as a teenager I remember feeling like oh god I'm, I'm, I'm fine I'm okay like stop stop fussing over me yeah. you know like and at school right. especially as a teenage girl at school you just you know your goals in life are kind of like be popular but blend in. So, like, be popular. Stand out. Stand out. But blend in. But sta- like, so, like, be noticed by, like, you know, the person that you fancy that you sit next to in science. That would be great. But also don't make a show of yourself. Um, so, you know, the knowledge, the knowledge that they'd had an announcement in assembly, which I actually think was the right thing to do. So when I was off, I think, I, think I had about three days off school when my mum died. I, it was ridiculous. Um... I think they'd had an assembly and some, you know, the head of year or whatever had said, just to let you know, like, you know, Sarah's going to be back and just like, I don't, I don't, I think they were just trying to, they were trying to stop people from putting their foot in it. But of course, all it meant was that everybody just stared at me when I walked down the corridor. The whole school The whole school. It was like one of those American high school things where everybody's like, they're walking down the, um, walking down the hall and everybody's kind of, you know, backpacks on staring whispering and of course we don't deal with grief and conversations around grief very well in this country we definitely didn't 20 years ago so um people just wouldn't say anything they wouldn't just didn't talk to me because it was easy (laughs) it was easier to um I mean we see that in adults don't we like it's such a common reaction to grief that you think I don't don't want to say the wrong thing and I don't know what to say so I'm just going to pretend this isn't happening and then quite often the person who's grieving might feel like no one gives a shit. Like yeah. this really. Yeah. Like, what's what's this all about? But as a, as a as kids, even more so. Yeah, it was like ripping off a plaster. Like it was better just to, for me just to get that conversation out of the way. I had a couple of friends mm. who were really good who basically said, you know, what do you do? You want to talk about it or not? Because if you do want to talk about it, we're happy to talk about it. But also, if you'd rather just we don't mention it, we're happy not to mention it. And that acknowledgement was really important. Um, but yeah, funny time, funny times. God, I wouldn't. I don't. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be a teenager. Again, I don't think in a hurry, like in some ways I would, but um, there was a, yeah, it was a, it was a very, very strange time, but I definitely felt like it had, you know, it gave me the confidence to write a teenage character who had lost someone um, and sort of know that she would still be concerning herself with other non-death related things um because like you know life life, go, life goes on that is the yeah. that is the sad reality of it yeah um and um how do you think that your experiences um you know with, with losing your mum how has that affected your own experience as a mum there must be sometimes like obviously mother's day um right about now um stuff like that must must be such a weird time for you because you're being celebrated by your boys, yeah. but it must make you feel yeah, that loss it, more acutely. Yeah, it does. I um, I always kind of mentally prepare myself for, you know, in the build up to Mother's Day because I've had enough years now to know that you can't, um, you know, you can't shut off the Mother's Day kind of advertising and stuff completely. Like there are, you know, brands that are really considerate and you can opt out of emails and all that sort of stuff, but by and large, you know, unless you unless you close your eyes and block your ears, um, there'll be adverts. And I think I'm generally then okay. Um, there have been a couple of times where, um, like, brands or PR companies have got in touch with me um, earlier than I would have been expecting there to be a Mother's Day kind of message. And the email pitch has kind of been, you know, hi, Sarah, we were hoping we could treat you and your mum to x y or z um show her she's really special this mother's day um and you know i just have to take a moment to be like yeah i would love to but unfortunately uh that's not ever gonna happen so it is you know there are those kind of moments that take your breath away a bit but i don't find mother's day that much harder than you know any 
any other day really and and obviously now because I have the boys I sort of feel like it's changed it the focus is the it's all about me now Alison the focus is shifted (laughs) to me as Um, it should be (laughs) but yeah I don't know for me it's not those it's not it's not special days necessarily that I find like my mum's birthday or mother's day or even my birthday or even like last week with the book coming out um you know all of those things are moments where there's she's very obvious I feel that she's very obviously missing um but for me it's more like the hardest thing that I find is when I see women who are about my age usually kind of in town shopping with their mums or going for coffee or you know it's like that real like I'll see them kind of coming out John Lewis arm in arm bit of Christmas shopping or um you know, just going out for a coffee and a chat. And I, and I do sometimes think it's like a little bit of a window into a life that could have been. Um, because obviously, you know, but I've now been, you know, um, out of the like, all my years on the planet, my mum has now not been here for longer than she was. So, um, you know, it's a long, it's a long, long time, but I don't really have, you know, an idea of what, life would be like if she was here so sometimes I see I see it and I think it could it could potentially have been have been like that and um you know you almost want to you I don't know I feel like I probably I've definitely stared at people before and kind of looked wistfully and maybe smiled at them and they thought who is this um crazy person in Costa or whatever but um I'm just kind of you know it doesn't I don't feel I don't like feel angry or um, I don't feel any animosity to them or like jealousy. I just I just think it's really lovely, but it does make me think, you know, that would have been nice. Yeah. And you know, obviously there are a lot of people out there who have lost parents or family members, loved ones, and you talking about it on social media and including this theme in your book, I think will be massively helping a lot of people. Yeah, I get lots of messages from people who read. So there was a chapter in my first book that was um, dedicated to my mum. And I get lots of messages from people when they lose their parents to say, you know, I remembered that you'd written about this. Um, but also I've learned over the years that as sad as it is to um, to lose, you know, somebody that you that you love. There are also a great many people out there who have really, really crap relationships with their parents, whose parents aren't there for them, who are kind of narcissistic and mean and, um, you know, don't, have never actually done any active or decent parenting. And actually, you know, that's another sort of grief in its own, you know, mourning the, mourning the kind of relationship that you could have had. And I feel weirdly quite lucky that, you know, I had... I have that really nice relationship and that really kind of classic family dynamic to kind of mourn and miss um, and such a happy, um, bright kind of childhood and upbringing that there's that, you know, there's something to grieve, isn't there? Rather than that kind of bitterness as an adult of thinking, well, my mum doesn't care about me or... So I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's opened my eyes over the years to their you know, it's not always, it's not always loss that people are upset about. There'll be people who will be seeing Mother's Day adverts and there'll be, it'll be hard for other, you know, other reasons, I think, as well. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it, that you must find that so much in your job as well is that you can speak from your experience. Yeah. But it's impossible for you to be fully aware 100% of the time of everyone else's possible experiences in every different situation. Yeah, but sometimes, Alison, I do get messages from people and you would think that I should, from the message, that I should be expected to know all of that, but I should be expected to understand everybody else's situation and circumstance at all times. At all times. The pandemic, I think, was quite hard for that, I think, because everybody was having such a different experience of it I, I still like I'll, I'll be talking to some of my, my school mum friends and they'll almost be a little bit nostalgic for like you know the lo- lockdown and homeschooling like oh wasn't it lovely that you know all there was to do every day was just to go for a family walk in the woods and you know all that time together and I'm like I literally wanted to scream every day I wasn't keeping my shit together. I never want to go back to that. And everyone's experiences were so different. Yeah, and exactly. And like, I can remember, 
you know, you can, you can't kind of caveat every post you do with, I know this isn't the same for everyone. And I know that I'm lucky for all of these reasons, but I feel like that should, you know, people that know you have followed you for a long time should, should kind of understand where you are and where your humour lies. And I did, (laughs) I did a post during homeschooling that was like, it was basically just a picture of my like completely um, frustrated and worn out face, kind of, you know, Um, and the caption was something along the lines of, you know, I feel like I've unwillingly joined the Big Brother house and I don't like any of my housemates and <laughs> nobody, nobody, there's we on the toilet seat and nobody will let me in the diary room to, to get out. And I was just, I was just at the end of my tether, right, this day. It was like a homeschooling type day. And then there were just loads of, then I just had loads of messages from people that were like, well, you're lucky that you're staying at home and homeschooling um, because, you know, I work for the NHS or what have you. And, you know, when you feel bad because you're like, yeah, do you know what? You are right. So I do know yeah. that. But also that doesn't mean that I'm not having a tough time because yeah. I actually am like, you know, I'm not I'm not coping very well. And I am under contract and being paid for a book that's not getting written. And if I don't write it, I won't get paid and we won't be able to pay the mortgage. But don't let that worry you. And, um, you know, kind of, you know, we're all I don't that competitive edge to, mm. you know, who's having the who's having a shitter lockdown. I found quite <laughs> I found quite grating at times because at the end of the day, if you're not if emotionally you're not coping and you need to let it out like I feel like nobody should really take that away from you. No, um, I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend. I said, I, I feel like we should we, we should normalise being allowed to talk about how hard parenting is without caveating it with, I love my kids' butts. Yeah, because yeah. Because it feels like we all, and I do it myself, I love my kids, but oh my goodness, I literally wanted to run out the house screaming today and leave them all to it. Yeah. Why can't we just say that I wanted to run out of the house screaming? Like, like... Let, let's just assume that the majority of us love our kids. Yeah, yeah, and the start default from position. Exactly. The default position is that we love them and, you know, wouldn't wouldn't change them for the world. It's just that there are days when we would a little bit change them for the world. That's the um that's the that's the problem. But it's hard because also I always feel like messages that come from I'm fine with messages that tell me why somebody has taken offence to what I've said or how I have said it, if they're sent in a kind of um reasoned reasonable way so yeah. I'll, I will happily then reply and say I am actually very sorry that I've made you feel this way um, and I understand where you're coming from blah 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 it's only if somebody's rude that I'm like well screw you then um, because sometimes you'll find that they do you find this that sometimes they will then actually reply and say yeah do you know what I'm sorry I was having yeah. a rubbish day and I took it out on you because I saw yeah. one of your posts out of context and it wound me up and I'm like yeah fine it's like a virtual hugging it out um, mm. so sometimes I like that but if somebody's if if somebody's rude um, or kind of aggressive in any way, then I'm like I'm not going to yeah I won't engage with that. That's no. you're on there's your no own. point because what what they're saying is about it, it's about them and their reaction to something and their feelings. It's not actually about no, you. No, and you can't let your whole day, week, month be ruined because Barbara from Wolverhampton thinks you're a terrible parent. Like really, it just. There's Bloody just, Barbara. Yeah, there's just no, you can't do it. Um, you can't let it, you know, get to you. Because you. if you do do that, you're in danger of not reading and not seeing all the messages where people have gone, you've really helped me today, or I really appreciate this, or, um, you know, this has been really useful. So, um, you know, it's that classic thing, isn't it? We head straight for the one-star reviews, which is obviously exactly what I've, my book's had one one-star review out of 202. And obviously I'm, I'm, I obsessed over it. I was in Marks and Spencers and James went, oh, you've had your first one-star review. And um, I'll remember... Well, hang on, hang on. He pointed it out to you. Yeah, he, we couldn't help it. We were, we were obsessively refreshing Amazon that day for like chart <laughs> positions and stuff. And I was like, what does it say? And it was like, what does it say? Something like poorly written chiclet um disappointing something something one star and i was in much was it was it was that a verified purchase it was a verified purchase but i did look at their other reviews um 
And they were all, I don't think anybody had ever managed to get more than three stars from this person. There were a lot of one and two stars. But, you know, I was there, like, I was literally stood, like, with holding up a bra in one hand, being like, bloody hell, say what you think, why don't you, you know? Um, <laughs> but isn't that funny that I've read, you know, there are, like, 175 star reviews and I couldn't I couldn't quote any of them to you but I can quote the one star which is a terrible state of affairs but um it did actually make me laugh it didn't give me that totally like you know that sink, you know when feeling. you get that sinking feeling it didn't because it was all it was like so bad that it actually made me laugh um but yeah I was like oh bloody hell <laughs> well I would definitely say to anyone listening that um not to let that one star that one one star review put you off buying stepping up um it's at it's, least a two I, star no <laughs> <laughs> don't know please go and buy it and give Sarah a five star review just to really drown out that one star <laughs> review that'd be really helpful um Sarah thank you so much for joining me today um as I said the book's out now but tell us where we can find you online just in case there's like three people listening who don't follow you already <laughs> so you can find me on instagram facebook and twitter i'm not young and trendy enough to have tiktok or anything like that i'm afraid so instagram uh, twitter and facebook um at the unmumsy mum um and yeah my book is is, is out now it's in bookshops and tesco and asda and yeah online so, so pick it up while you're doing your weekly shop. Just, you know, pick up your, your pound of mints and you're, you're stepping I up. Know, I'm you're, loving, you'll be all, all good. I'm loving the pictures that people are sending where it's like their big shop trolley full of stuff, um, loads of baby stuff. And then, the, you know, this bright green book in the middle of it. I'm like, yes. That's so good. Listen, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. It's been so, so fab to talk to you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.